Peter Saints, Exodus chapter 34. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we come to you this evening looking forward to receiving from your spirit, receiving from your written word, an understanding of your heart, an understanding of what you want from our heart, an understanding of an intimacy to actually begin to grasp the fullness of us being a partaker of your glory, sharing in it, expressing it in the way that Moses does. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts, that we would recognize that what was happening to Moses was only because of you. Without you, he would just be Moses, looking like Moses, but in your presence, in your presence, Lord, glory, in your presence, Shekinah. And so teach us what it is to be in your presence. Knit us to that understanding. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, saints, if you would now, in Exodus chapter 34, I'm going to back it up to verse 28, because if I just start reading in 29, there's going to be just a, a complication that comes with it, because I'm going to have to explain why he came down and why he has his face shown. So as we're here, it simply begins this, in Exodus 34, verse 28. So he, that is Moses, was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know. The skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. They were very afraid to come near him. So Moses called them, and Aaron, all the rulers of the congregation, returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and he would speak to the children whatever he had been commanded. Whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses would put the veil on his face again, until he went in to speak with him. The study was a difficult one for me. One, because I thought very seriously about breaking this up into four different studies. There are four incredible concepts that um, are here in this passage and I did tell you that we get through the book of Exodus this year, so that put me in a binder here. So what we'll do is this. We'll, we'll cover what we can. Um, we'll, we'll look at it as, um, as in-depth as time allows for each of the, the, the 
the foundations that we're looking at. And then we'll just, um, if you have questions afterwards, then, then we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. But it begins this in the verse 28. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. Absolutely, 40 days without food or water. And it's amazing that when Moses was with God, he no longer had a need of anything else. And, and I find that absolutely fascinating. There were no other desires that were spoken of in the text. Moses, God, and the revealed heart of God. And, and I, I find this amazing that Moses was totally and absolutely satisfied with God. Moses didn't say, hey, God, you want to drop some of that manna up here on the mountain while we're here? You know, he, there was no need. He didn't have to do that. It was just simply him and God. Nothing distracts Moses from God at this point. And, and I think it's interesting that when we're, we're distant from God, at that point, other things begin to distract us. Have you ever noticed as a Christian that when you're super, super close with God, He's all you see, He's all you want, He's all you need, but as you back away, then all of a sudden your peripheral starts catching other things. And, and I find that this wonderful because Moses is right here with the Lord in intimacy, and at this point Moses neither eats bread nor drinks water. Nothing in the, in the text revealed that anything mattered only being in the presence of God. And that wonderfully fascinated me. Um, a couple of passages I want you to ponder through, if you would, with me. The first is found in Matthew chapter 6. Of course, we went through these, these verses when we went through Matthew. Um, but in Matthew 6, beginning verse 31 through 33... The, the Lord is speaking, and Jesus makes this statement. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. He said, why are you worrying about food or drink or clothes? Why, 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 why is that consuming you? Why aren't you satisfied with what you have? Why are you consumed with this here? And then he goes in verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. Is, is God satisfied? Are you satisfied with the kingdom? Are you satisfied with what you have? Are you satisfied with God? Has he become your priority and so when we look to that, you know, we simply ask the question, what are you thirst for? What are you thirsting for? You know, it, it's amazing that Jesus says, anyone who thirsts, come to me. And I think it's so important, that passage in John, you know, 737, where it says, if you thirst, you come to me. I love that passage in the Gospel of John, where in chapter 6, when he dealt so radically with about him and the relationship with him, he actually makes this statement in verse 55, my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. Talk about, it's about me, nothing else. And, and I, I think what, what's interesting is that, that we note in scripture where if you're with the Lord, if you're focused on the Lord, then all the other things seem to just fall right in place. There's a passage, I, you, you may know it, you may not, but it's found in the book of Psalms. 
And in the book of Psalms, Psalm 37, verse 25, where he says, listen, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. The righteous, those who seek after the Lord. And I'm finding this a fascinating thing because at this point, it's such a, a wonderful thought process to go through when we're looking at what it is that satisfies us. And why, isn't, why is it when God doesn't satisfy us and we begin to look to these other things? You guys may be familiar with a couple of parables. And a lot of the parables are found in Luke's gospel. And I want to share two of them with you. The first is found in Luke chapter 12. And uniquely, beginning in verse 16 through 21, Jesus is, is talking about um, a certain rich man. And it was about, you know, this, this one said, hey, you know, I don't have enough money. My brother's not dividing the inheritance. And, but Jesus said this. In verse 16 of Luke 12, he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Why are you so concerned about all these other things? And he spoke a parable in verse 16, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It's amazing. He does this, and God says to him in verse 20, Fool. Fool. And, and I, I think it's so interesting that in verse 21, it says, He who slays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And, and so we look to this, and, and so he says, Be careful because you're laying up one treasure but God isn't your treasure. And, and I think it's an amazing thing. You're not rich towards God that he isn't that value to you. All these other things become a value. The other one that I want to share with you just a couple chapters over in Luke chapter 15. You guys know the, the, the parable. You know, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. Um, sometimes we call it the parable, the parable of the prodigal sons, plural. But I want to share with you only one verse within this. Because when the youngest son had left, it says in verse 14, But when he had spent all, there arose a, a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. All of a sudden, he had everything he thought he needed, and now he has nothing that he thinks he needed. And, and, and amazingly is this, and I want you to, to, to focus on this, that, that all the needs that he now thinks that he needs, he says this, I will go to my father. Mm. My father will supply all these things in my father's house that is sufficient for all these things. And, and I, I find this in my mind and in my heart that this wonderful, Literally, a foundation to build my faith on is why is it that these things become important and, and to the point where they even begin to rival God for my time and my energies when, when Moses was just there with God and nothing else mattered. 
Nothing else mattered. And here, this, this prodigal son, he began to be in want, and he had nothing. And then he realized, I just need to go to my father. That's it. My father, everything is there with my father. I just need to go back to my father. I need to pursue my father. And, and I think that's so amazing to my own heart. The book of Ecclesiastes, you guys are familiar with it. And the, the wonderful thing about this book is that the preacher goes through and he begins to discuss pursuit after pursuit after pursuit. As he goes through all these pursuits, he pursues wisdom, he pursues pleasure, he pursues accomplishments, he pursues the labor, he, he even pursues popularity. I want people to like me, and I, I want to laugh like crazy. And, and, and so then he also goes after wealth. And the amazing thing is everything that he pursues, he gets. He gets. And as soon as he gets it, he goes, it's vanity. Vanity is a unique word. It literally means emptiness. Crazy is all that is. Vanity. Vanity of vanities. Emptiness of emptiness. Um, it would be like this. You know what a soap bubble is? All it is is just a little tiny piece of soap that forms a sphere, and inside is what? It's empty. It is just, just nothing. Pretty soon it pops and it's all gone. And, and amazingly, this is what this vanity is. It is just the essence of nothingness. But he pursues it. He pursues it, he pursues it, he pursues it. And everything that his heart desires, he begins to pursue. And every time that he gets what he pursues, he finds it empty. Until he comes to the conclusion and in verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 12, he, he, he makes the statement, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I want to tell you what matters. What to pursue. He said this, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Everything that I wanted to pursue, it was God. And I looked to these things and I thought, maybe, maybe this will satisfy me. And in the pursuit, it begins to satisfy, but the accomplishment is what? It's empty. Now that I got it, what do I do? And so it's one of those things where so often this understanding of what we begin to do, we're constantly trying to say what in life will satisfy me. What will bring me some happiness? What will bring me some joy? I don't have this joy. I don't have this satisfaction. But if you ever notice that when you're a Christian, you're drawing close to God. You don't need these other things. And, and I, I think that's the interesting thing. John the Baptist said something unique in the Gospel of John. Chapter 3, verse 30, you guys know it, where John said, I must decrease, he must increase. And, and I, I think it's so important that we, we recognize that everything that we need, God is sufficient for it. And we're going to find out that when I pursue God, I don't need these other things. These things, I need this, I need this. They're like, you don't need that. What you need is me. When you have me, you have the, the fullness of everything that you need. And I think it's important that when we look to what Scripture begins to teach, 
You know that passage in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6? Is that one where he makes that statement that he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is amazing. He's a rewarder. Now, now he's a rewarder not of, not of those that, 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 that work, not of those who labor, not of those who are doing all these things for him, not of those who memorize scripture. He's a reward of those who diligently seek him. You seek me, you're going to find me. And, and I love the fact, and, and this was just something that, that blew me away in, in my study where I just, I didn't want to go on with this. I didn't want to take the next verse. I just wanted to stay here and camp out with this and really look and show you just, just how much of what scripture teaches is that it's about just being close to God. That, that's the sufficiency in everything it is. And so when, when we look at where, in fact, let me just share with you a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read to you verse 5 and 6 just so that you can jot it down. If you're fast, you can actually turn there, but my Bible's marked, so I can get there a lot quicker. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Paul declares this, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves. I did this, I did this, I did that. God, it's, but if it's not God who supplies it, it's emptiness, it's vanity. It's not that we're sufficient of, to our, of ourselves to think that anything is being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. What we need is God. What we need comes from God. And if there's something that we need, he supplies it. And then he says this, verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. It's amazing that when Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to leave you orphans. Guess what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you me. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you God. That's what you need. And, and, and that is going to supply all your needs. And I think it's so important to, to recognize that, that our sufficiency is in God and in God alone. And, and when we come to that understanding, I think it's, it's so important for us to grasp that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, one verse I want to read to you. I want to read to you verse 8, but it makes this statement. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Isn't it amazing that the thing that he supplies is what? Grace. How's that tangible? <laughs> It isn't, but it's God. We understand that he showers us with his love that we don't deserve. He showers us with his presence that we don't deserve. He allows us to experience his glory, which we don't deserve. But all this comes from God. And when you have that from God, he, he talks about this make this grace abound to you. The term actually is superabound. You've got this abundance of grace that you always having all sufficiency in all things. You understand? What else is needed? You have everything that you need in Christ. 
Everything that you need that, that he supplies, but it's about drawing near to him, letting him be the one. Because so often we think, well, now I stored this up and I stored this up and I stored this up. You don't understand what's required of you is this, that you're right with me always, always. And in order to be right with him, I think is to be close and intimate with him. As we look to this, I just found this amazing as it just drew my heart. In the, um, the, the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, he says this in verse 9 concerning Paul and this thorn that was in his flesh. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You understand my strength isn't made perfect, it's perfect in all your abundance and what you've done. It's, it's in your lack of anything. Do you understand? I want nothing but you. Oh, wow, talk about weakness on you, strength in me. Because when God is the one that supplies that, I think it's so important to, to recognize that if there's going to be anything that I receive from the Lord, it has to be the Lord who supplies it. If you've been following um, Calvary Chapel on Sundays, we're, we're going through the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. And I want to read two verses in that because it so holds true to, to what it is. I've been finding it amazingly that as I'm going through the Gospel of John, it's all bouncing off of Exodus. And I'm going through Exodus, it's all bouncing <laughs> off the Gospel of John. And it's turning out to be just an amazing journey for me. But it says this in, in 1 John 15, and I want to read verses 4 and 5. He says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. I think it's so amazing. He just simply says, abide in me. Come near and draw to me and connect to me. That's it. That's the, he says, you don't, you don't have to go off and work, go off and do these things. Just abide in me because you cannot bear fruit of yourself unless it abides in the vine. It's the abiding that bears fruit. It's the abiding that gives life. It's the abiding that gets source. It's, it's the sufficiency comes from the vine. And I think it's so amazing as we, we look to this. He says, neither can you. You can't bear fruit unless you abide in me. And I love the closeness that Moses is revealing. Jesus says in verse 5 of, of John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And it's so important that we're out doing all these things and all of a sudden like, oh, Jesus, come along. No, he says, without me, you can do nothing. There, 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 there's nothing that you can accomplish unless you're abiding in me and, and I am your sufficiency. I am your life source. I am everything that you need. And then I'm going to supply you what's needed in this. I'm going to give to you first and foremost me and, and then everything else. This is an amazing thought process in, in Psalm 46, verses um, 10 and 11. I actually want to read it to you. It, it's a beautiful psalm, and, and, and the way that the, the Lord speaks of this, and, and the, the key verse is going to simply say, Be still and know that I am God. But in Psalm 46, let me read it to you. I just want to read verses 10 and 11 as, as I go through this, but it makes this statement. 
He says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. Do you understand that it's so important that he says that the God of Jacob is our refuge. Just come into him and stay there. Just be still. Is that strive, not work? Just be still and know that he is God. That he is everything that we need. And, and, and I think when we come to this, as he goes on in verse 11, it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. It's such an amazing thing that for us to truly be satisfied with God and to desire to only be satisfied with God. I, I think what's interesting is this. We have to be cautious. And let, let me just put it this way. You have to be cautious of people who don't, who are not satisfied with God. Let me share with you a passage and, and so that you kind of understand where, where I'm going. Because as we pursue intimacy with God, there are other people who don't want intimacy with God. They want all these other things. And there's a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he makes a statement. He calls it apostasy. But, but he says this. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. But know this. In the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Do you understand? Not lovers of God. They will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemer, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despises of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. And then he says this at the end of verse 4. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And, and, and in case you're, 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 you're curious, he goes on in verse 5 to talk about these people who are lovers of pleasure, lovers of self, lovers of all these things, but not a lover of God. These other things they're pursuing to be satisfied, but God doesn't satisfy them. That's not who they're devoted to. They're not who they're, they're giving themselves over to. They're giving themselves over to pleasure. They're giving themselves over to themselves, to what they want. And it makes this statement in verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. That's a warning. That is a warning to recognize that when you have these people who aren't giving themselves over to the Lord, that aren't loving God and wanting intimacy with God, but they're always pursuing these other things, he says, you need to be careful of that. Because why? They're going to come and say how wonderful this is, how amazing this is, and it's not God. And it may be wonderful, it may be amazing, but guess what? Just put on a scale. God on one side, this other thing on the other. What is the most amazing? It, it's God and his grace and his glory and his salvation. It's his kingdom that, that trumps everything else for these other things. And yet, 
when you pursue God and you pursue his kingdom and you find intimacy, all these other things, he says, well, you're going to need this, you're going to need this. They're, they're given to us what we need. And I find this so amazing that when we look to this area, that he warns us about being careful for these people who are pursuing not intimacy with God. And, and I think that there's a, a warning for us. I want to share with you a passage in the Gospel of John chapter 5 because even this was something that the Holy Spirit gave me that really made me draw my attention to what we do when we come into these words. Now, we're already having a warning of people who are, are not satisfied with God and they're looking for all these other things. And there's a warning in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 39, where Jesus is, is warning, speaking to these leaders of Israel. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have life, but these are they which testify of me. It's even amazing, and I want you to recognize that, that here... Be careful because even the scriptures, you can think you have life in the scripture. Oh, I did this and it's amazing. I did this and it's amazing. And I kept the Passover and it's amazing. And I did that and it was amazing. And yet it didn't draw you to an intimacy with God. Now these things draw you to intimacy. Then you're on the right track. But understanding these people were searching the scripture saying, I got life here. I got life here. And it wasn't life. Life, it draws you to Christ. It just leads you to Him. And the volume of the book, it is written of Him. And, and so when we look to what the Scriptures, and I think it's even important because these people are lovers of pleasure. And I do believe that there are people who look to the Scriptures and they love what they can learn. They love what they can know. They love the soundbite. They love the cliches. And, and, and yet... Are you drawing closer to Jesus Christ? Is it just knitting you closer to him and more intimate with him? And the scriptures are to draw you into a deeper intimacy. And I believe a rest. That I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else. You're warning me about this in my life. You say, come to you. And when I come to you, you're just going to do that work within me. And I think it's, it's so important for us to really be cautious on what we do and how we do it when we when we look to those those ways in which sometimes that we drift away and, and intimacy with God isn't it and understanding scripture itself isn't the all in all that's not what gives you life Jesus Christ intimacy gives you life scripture points you to Jesus that's what it's supposed to do there's a passage I want you to be aware of, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I know I'm running through this fast, but I've got a few things that I want to get done. So bear with me, jot it down, see me later if you've missed it. But it says this, Paul in writing to the church in Corinth, says this, Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. I'm going I'm to kind of go on on something, but I want you to really pay attention with me. And, and you may think it's, it's, it's not important, but it is very important, which is why he says, I want you to bear with me a little folly. 
He says in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. You understand what Paul is wanting? He says, I want to bring you with nothing to Jesus Christ. You have nothing, and I want to bring you to him. I want to present you. I have betrothed you to one husband. I want to present you as a chaste virgin, virgin, where you have nothing else that is there. You're just pure, and I bring you with you and nothing else to Christ. That's it. And then he says in verse 3, But I fear somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Isn't it amazing how Scripture over and over portrays this draw near to God and rest in it? There's, and, and we realize that when we look to the Scriptures and we see Jesus and he reveals his heart, we go, oh, it's so simple. In my mind, it's so simple. All I got to do is draw near. But then what happens? Then my flesh doesn't want to draw near. My flesh, well, but what about this and what about that? And we look to all these other things and we think that, that, that Jesus isn't the answer. That, that he isn't the sufficiency that he claims to be. And I think it's so important that, that we move from the simplicity that is Christ. And we move into works and we move into this and we move into all these things. He says, I just want you close to me. And that's all that Moses wanted. He just wanted him and God. He didn't need anything else. And I love the fact that Moses was absolutely and perfectly, wonderfully satisfied with God. And all these other things. It was just Moses. It was God. And the revealed heart of God. And that was all. Nothing else. And, and then amazingly that while he was there, I want you to catch something. It, it says in our text, and we are back in our text eventually. We're going to get there a couple of times tonight. But it says in our text of Exodus 34 verse 28, he says, so simply, he was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. and neither ate the bread or drank the water. And he wrote on the tablets. Now, the, the he is, should be in the capital. He being God. He wrote on the tablets. The words of the covenant. The Ten Commandments. <coughs> I want you to recognize that God does the work. <laughs> and all that Moses has to do is God writes on the tablet. God reveals his heart. God brings forth his word. Do you, do you see what's happening here? Moses is sitting, enjoying God is bringing forth his word. God is writing on the tablets. <coughs> God is revealing his heart. God brings forth his message. And all he's doing is hanging out. It's an amazing. All he's doing is hanging out. I want to share with you uh, uh, an illustration that is not my own. It's an illustration that came from um, Calvary's Chapel, Chuck Smith. And Chuck, in one of his messages, had made a statement that he was going through the Word and, and he was pursuing 
this one text, and he wanted to really understand this text. So he took out his, his concordances, he took out his thesauruses, and he took out commentaries, and he just dived into this text. And, and hours later, boom, he, he, he got it. And he was so thrilled that he got it. And he couldn't wait to share with the body the things that all that work and all that effort finally paid off. And he's like, now I have a word for the people. But before the service, this little old lady, old lady who loved the Lord, sweet, sweet, dear saint, had come up to him and, and before the service said, you know, I was reading the text. I just happened to be reading it. And God said this. And she told him the exact truth that he had spent hours and hours and hours trying to find. And she just read the text and got it. <laughs> Chuck realized that all that time and all that energy really didn't mean a whole lot at that point. When a lady could just read it and get it. And, and I think it's important to, to recognize that God is doing the work. Moses isn't striving. He's not saying, hey, you got any other references? You got some other texts for me? It's just God who's doing it. And I think it's so important that, that when we look at what Jesus says, is he wants to write on the tablets of our hearts his law. He wants to write on the tablet of heart. Isn't I don't want to just strive for it. Just come near to me. And I will write on the tablet of your heart everything that you need to know. And, and it's so amazing that he, he refers to going to know what? He loves me. His grace, he loves me. His grace, he, he thinks of me. His grace, he understands my weakness. His grace, he went to the cross and died for me. His grace, he's sufficient to give me everything that I need to do the work of the ministry. And I think it's just an amazing thing to recognize here. God does all the work. Let God be God. And, 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 and let him do what he does so well. Just draw near to him and let him speak the volume of his heart. Draw near to him and, and just say, you know, Reveal yourself in this word, and he's going to reveal himself. And you're going to just say, I just want to get closer to you. And if this word says what to avoid to get close to you, I want to do this. If your word says do this to get close to you, I want to do this. Oh, that's like the last couple of messages. Those are the things that now we're understanding what it is. It's so important. Just draw near to God, which is why God spent so much time saying, Listen, Avoid these things that will keep you away. Do these things that will draw you near. Because I am what is important. And I think it's an amazing thing for God to, to reveal these things to us. And then in verse 29. And yes, we're actually moving on to the next verse. It says this. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him, when he talked with God. He didn't know. And, and, and to me, I, I, I see this as humility. I see this as humility. Moses wasn't like, I see now that corner of my eyes. Do you glow here, Lord? He, he just, he, it wasn't there. Moses didn't, didn't have a clue. 
And that wasn't what he was pursuing. He wasn't pursuing, I'm going to draw near so I can glow and show the people my glow. That, that's, that's not what it was. He drew near, his face shone, and Moses did not know. This is huge. Absolutely huge. And, and I think this is one of those things where when we, when we recognize what God is doing, when we recognize his heart, there's a passage that I want you to be aware of found in the book of Acts chapter 4. And I want to focus on it just a couple of verses because it's just it, it's so important to, to grasp this and understand what it is that, that God is trying to speak. It says this, verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. And then it says this. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Wow. Absolutely amazing. It wasn't, it wasn't their garb. It wasn't, it wasn't how fancy they were dressed. It wasn't. And, and they, they saw the boldness. They, they perceived. You guys aren't educated. You don't, you're not polished in all these ways. But they realized that they had been with Jesus. They, they, they saw they were untrained. And, and maybe you not, may not be as polished in your spirituality as other people. You may not be as polished in your religion as other people. You may not be as polished in your Christianese, which is an actual language, as other people. But what's important is this. They're going to recognize when you have been with Jesus. All of their polished stuff is like, wow, you've been to seminary. <laughs> but have you been with Jesus? You understand, you, you, can, you can gain these things, and it's so important that the, the, the people can see the simplicity of your walk with Jesus Christ. And they may not say it, but they're going to say, oh my goodness, I wish I didn't have to strive as hard and still have what you have. This is an amazing thing when you recognize what God's heart is and what he wants. And so when we see this, I'll be honest with you, people can see, they can perceive those who are close to Jesus, who have intimacy with Jesus. They may not have all that fancy training and all the, 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 the right ways of delivery. And, and keep in mind that if, if people look and see my delivery, they would say, listen, you've got to stop giving seven points. You just, three points, that's it. You've got to, you've got to state your points, speak your points. Restate your points and then finish it. Get it out of the way. And, and never, never use more than two, maybe three references. Well, I am unpolished. But hopefully, when I'm giving a message, you say, you know what? <laughs> He's been hanging out with Jesus. He's been there. And, and I want you to understand his heart. It's an amazing thing that when we, when we recognize that they've been with Jesus, and, and, and so they, they had this boldness. They, they, they didn't have all this polished stuff, but, you know, it's amazing. You know where, where, where Peter talks about the, the beauty of the inward? He talks about it's a, it's a quiet and gentle spirit. 
And, and that spirit, that spirit of being with God, that spirit of saying, I don't have to worry about all these other things. And, and I think it's important that, that we do not try to convince people about how spiritual we are. And that's a problem in the church. People try to show how many notches they have on their Bible. They, 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 they literally want to say, look it, I brought this person to Christ. I did this and I went witnessing and I did this for the church and I did all these things for the church. And, and, and it's one of those things where you're trying to convince others to, to how spiritual you are and how religious you are. And, and I think what happens is this. People are wanting the praises of men more than the praises of God. And, and this is what it is. I, I think where Paul asks in Galatians 1, verse 10, he says, do I seek to please men? And of course, that answer is absolutely no. In, in John 12, verse 43, Jesus actually gives this warning. And it's an incredible warning. When it, when it deals with the religious leaders, and he says this, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And I think it's so important, just hang out with Jesus. Just do that, and then whatever he wants to do in you, let him do it. And so keep in mind that, that God is going to be the one to open people's eyes that you were with him. And that's it. And I think it's an amazing thing that, that you don't need to. You don't have to try to convince people that you've been with Jesus. You, you realize you don't have to convince them. Like, oh, boy, I spent time in prayer, and I spent time in the Word. And, and yet, you know what? There's a lot of people that they pray thus with themselves. And they spend a lot of time praying thus with themselves. But when you're with Jesus, you don't have to use the these and thous. When you're with Jesus, you don't even have to sometimes say a word. Just let him give to you the volume of his love. His presence, his intimacy. And sometimes I think we try to convince other people that we've been with Jesus. And, and I think there's even times we try to convince ourselves that we've been with Jesus. I want to spend more time in the Word. Being in the Word isn't being with Jesus. It's, it's being the Word. You see, sometimes they see the Scriptures thinking they have life, but they are they which testify of Him. Is it drawing you close to Jesus? And so it, it's, it's an amazing thing that what we see here is that as, as he comes through, he doesn't know. He doesn't know that his face is shining. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know. And, and I think of this humility that, that he was just with God. And you don't have to say, hey guys, you would never believe what happened. No, they can see what happened. There's the evidence that you were with God for 40 days now, Moses. There, you don't have to say a word. As a matter of fact, there was so much evidence they didn't want him to say where they were running away. And this is incredible. Because in, in the same way, understand, in the same way that Moses takes on, and I'm going to call this the nature of the glory of the Father, he takes on the nature of the glory of God, we can take on the fragrance. And I want to use this as a segue to really understand that as Moses is here revealing this glory through just who he is and just being there, not having to say anything, not having to do anything, there's another aspect of really what we can call the fragrance of Christ. I want to take you to a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 
couple of verses to be aware of. I want to start in verse 14. I want to read down to verse 16. Then I want to jump into this so you can kind of focus on it a little bit. But it says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. The victory that we have in Jesus. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one we are the aroma of death leading to death and the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? You understand the key is, is just as Moses was infused in the sense of the glory of God resting upon his skin... When we draw close to Jesus Christ, we very naturally pick up the fragrance of his nature. You just become that. You, you sort of just pick up what he is. And, and I think it's amazing. As, as you move away from him, you begin to lose that fragrance. And this is what happened. When Moses went on talk to the people, what's happening? They stopped glowing. And so he would go back into the Lord. Back in, let's take this off. Go back out to the people. Let's put it back on. And, and it's one of those things that, that when you're close to the Lord, you literally begin to take on his fragrance. When you walk away from the Lord, what happens is this. I begin to smell like myself. Carnal men. And, and, and to be honest with you, When we begin to lose his fragrance, we take on this bouquet of death, the bouquet of carnality, the aroma of the sin nature. In other words, it's by driving by old roadkill. It, it, it's one of those things where, you know, think about this. What is your true fragrance? Now, I'm going to just ask you this. No, I don't want questions or answers. I just want you to think about what is your true fragrance? And, 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 and then ask yourself this question. Why do you shower? Because I don't want people to know my true fragrance. Why do you brush your teeth? Because I don't want my people, the people, to know my true fragrance. Now, now without the soap and the aroma of soap, Without the minty freshness of the toothpaste, without the mouthwash, my smell is not anything that we would be knuckle-bumping from distances. We would not be close. And, and I think it's interesting that, that when we look to what is your true fragrance? Carnality. Well, I know my true fragrance is why I always try to mask it in the physical sense, but I also know what my true fragrance is and why I need Jesus Christ and his spirituality to cover that as well. And this is so important to recognize because we see that to others, it's so amazing that there's the, the smell of death. They smell the old nature that is dead, 
and they also smell that fact that they need to die to themselves. And that's why the fragrance of Christ is to one, the aroma of death leading to death. You've crucified your old nature, and you want me to crucify Mark, my carnality? That's death to me. Yes, it's, it's death, but it's life. And it's so important to some it's a fragrance of death, to some it's the fragrance of life, and I think to others that we become this fragrance of life. Before I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, there were some Christians that intrigued me. They really were. And as these Christians intrigued me, I, I kind of wanted to be near them. I didn't want to be like them because I didn't want other people to identify me with them, but I wanted to be near them because it was something about them that was different. And, 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 and amazingly, they, they attracted me. And the one thing that attracted me of, of these Christians, and they were, they were absolutely just solid, beautiful believers. Now, I had other Christians that didn't attract me at all. They would get the Bible and beat me over the head with it, and I wanted nothing to do with that. But these other ones, what they did is they loved me. And, and I don't know why, I don't know what, but they loved me. And this, this drew my attention. It caught me. And I was intrigued by this. And, and, and so the thing that attracted me is, is their love. And I knew, I knew that they loved me. And, and, and it, it kind of drew, drew me. And, and keep in mind, they didn't participate in the things that I participated in. And I wanted them to join me. Oh, you want to? And I want nothing to do with that. But I'll still love you. And I'll be okay with you. And, 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 and so the, the amazing thing is they would constantly reveal God's love in so many myriad of ways. They would speak of his love, and they would talk about his love, and they would talk about his grace, and, and, and they would talk about Jesus over and over again. And it intrigued me. I, I still didn't want to be identified, but what was amazing is that, that we begin to see here that so often that we become the fragrance. And, and the take on the fragrance is you just have to be near him. That's all. Just be near him. And when you're near him, you sort of take on the fragrance. I don't know if you've ever seen um, people who work in flower shops. They come out and they smell like flowers until they leave it for a while. When I was a kid, I worked in the barn. My job to clean it out. And I tried to avoid it as much as possible. I'll guarantee you, when I came out of the barn, people knew, whoa, I know what you've been doing in the barn. I, I know where you've been. You take on the fragrance of what you're close to, whether you want to or not. It sort of, you know, goes on. And I think, you know, when, when it comes to the, the fragrance, we don't always know that I don't smell like Jesus anymore. You ever, you ever seen smokers? Everyone else knows a smoker. The smoker thinks, you'll never know I had a cigarette. Well, I can tell you, 10 feet away, I know you had a cigarette. And, and yet they, they can't because they're, they're in that smell. They can't smell it on themselves. They can't smell it on their clothes. And so when we look to this, I just think it's so important to, to recognize that this is what the Lord desires for us. He wants us to come to him. and He wants us to have this amazing relationship with him. Now, as we're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I want us to drop down to verse 7 for just a second. I want to take it into verse 18 because this is the New Testament um, commentary on what happened with Moses. 
In verse 7 it says, But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. So it talks about here this ministry of death, the law, but it was glorious. It was so glorious that Moses' face shone and the glory was passing away, which is interesting because the law also. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For the ministry of the condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. In other words, the law was amazing and beautiful and holy and perfect and just. So wonderful was this law that Moses' face shone. But then Paul does this. But the glory of the Spirit, not of the law. The law was a ministry of death. If that was glorious, how much more this ministry of Spirit and life and when you compare these, he said, this thing that was so glorious that Moses' face showed had no glory in comparison to the glory that excels, the glory of the Spirit, the glory of life. And then he says in verse 11, for what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not. Look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until now that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil was taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You understand? You begin to see the glory. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then he says this, but we all with unveiled face. So amazing. Beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. It's so amazing that he talks about we're being transformed from glory into glory. Now we've talked about this before when we looked at the glory. I don't want to go over it again and again because it talks about the internal glory, the external glory. We have this internal and then it reveals itself externally. So the internal glory is, you know, experiencing what God does in you and then the external glory. We're in Matthew 13, verse 34, jot it down. The righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then, of course, in Daniel 12, 3, the wise shall shine like the brightness of the sun and of the stars and, of course, um, in, in the heavens. And so we see that there's this actual literal outward glory that we will be manifesting. And Moses does that here. And as he does it here in verse 29, it simply says that when he came down from the mount, he did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked to them. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. Now this next point is huge because it says this. Then Moses called. They were afraid. Moses, come on, come on. And I want you to note this. Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came near. 
I want you to understand that those who were leaders led. They came first. The children came after. And it's so important that if you are a parent, if you are one who's discipling someone else, the leaders come. The children follow. And this is what, what my wife and I want to be as grandparents. We want to go to the Lord and, and see our, let our grandchildren see us depending on him, drawing near to him, worshiping him, living in his grace. And so they would come into this grace that they would. But it's so important. I want you to see here all the rulers returned, verse 31, <coughs> verse 32 and afterwards, all the children. It's about really taking the time to lead. And, and, and as they do, they come into wanting to receive this glory of what God is revealing through Moses. And, and I think it's important to, to recognize that first they were afraid. They didn't want to come. But when the word was to come, they came. And, and, and how often do you think in your life, in your daily, does Jesus say, come to me? Come to me. I can't tell you. I wanted to do a whole study on just come to me, come to me. How many times just come to me? If you're, if you're, if you're weary, having late, come to me. If, 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 you're, if you're to a point where you're about to give up, come to me. It's so amazing that just come, come, come. As he called them, the rulers, they led the way. The children followed the way. And in verse 32, when the, all the children of Israel came near, he gave them his commandments. All the Lord had spoken on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking, he put the veil on his face. And when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until they came out and he would come to speak to the children of Israel, whatever had, he had been commanded. And I love the fact that when he's with the Lord, he wants to be open and transparent. If God sees the glory passing, the glory's passing. If God wants to add the glory, he's, and I just love the fact that, that when he's before the Lord, he is transparent. And it is something that we need to be. We don't have to try to convince ourselves how spiritual we are and try to convince God how spiritual we are. Just be transparent. Just be you. And recognize that me as a carnal man, saved by your grace, coming into your presence, I'm just coming in as me. You, you minister to me. And understand that while we're yet enemies, he loved us. When we're enemies of the cross, he, he sent Jesus to die. While we're enemies, he did what was right. And you think now that we're his children, he's going to do something wrong? And so we recognize, like that prodigal, in my Father's presence is everything that I need. And I don't have to mask it. Do you understand how that prodigal son didn't clean himself up? He just said, I'm... I got nothing. I can't, I can't clean myself up. I can't get on a new row. I have nothing. But I can go to my father. And the father says, oh, wow. Let's get another robe on this kid. <laughs> that one kind of smells like pig pods and everything else that's in the pen. And yet he gave him new. And I think this is so important that he just is transparent, but he comes into the Lord just plainly. And then verse 35, and whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, with the skin of Moses' face shone, that Moses would put the veil on his face until he went in again to speak with him. That, that Moses, as the New Testament says, he didn't want them to see the glory that was passing away. And it was just something that Moses did, and, and it was a, a great point so that we could have a New Testament truth on that as he receives the law and the glory of the law, as great as it is, it passed away. 
the life of the Spirit is always and will never pass away. And I think this is something that we all need to come into to, to recognize this beautiful passage that we're looking at. And may we be those people who, not in pretense, not in religious or spirituality, but we just give ourselves over to the Lord and say, God, you do the work. My whole goal is to do one thing. I want to be absolutely and completely and totally satisfied in you and nothing else. No other pursuits, just you. And, and, and not, not you as the end of the pursuit, you just drawing near to you and experiencing you is my pursuit. Not the rewards I'm gonna get. I don't want those, I just want you. You are my reward. Let that be our heart as we continue through this book, amen? amen. Father, we are so grateful for this passage so many powerful, powerful truths to grasp and, and try to understand. But the greatest, I do believe the greatest, is that being in your presence is everything. Being in your presence, we want to be transparent. Being in your presence, we begin to take on aspects of your nature. Not even striving, it just happens through osmosis. But it's when we come into your presence purely and simply in worship and in awe and surrender. Doing nothing like Moses did nothing, letting you do everything, which is what you do anyways. Everything, all our sufficiency, all that we do comes in you, Jesus. And all we want to do is abide in the vine. Just knit ourselves to you in closeness and intimacy and then fruit will come. It's amazing. The vines don't grunt and groan. Fruit just comes. May we be those people who understand, receive, and walk this truth. Let it transform our lives. Let it transform our relationship with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.